Uh, but a question for you, have you ever um, been so sure about something that you invested time and energy into whatever it may be, something that was really, really important to you, and so you took a lot of time and energy and invested in this, and then you found out sometime down the road that maybe you weren't doing it right. That maybe all this time and energy you put into it, maybe it wasn't exactly the best way to do it. Uh, that happened to me just a few years ago. Um, I, <clears throat> in earlier part of my life, I was a youth pastor, did that for about 20 years. And so um, it, it's what I went to school for. It's what I felt God called me to uh, when I was... Uh, in college, I felt called to youth ministry, never to be a senior pastor, so this is only God that I'm here. I thought I was going to do youth ministry for my life, and so part of my youth ministry program was really to develop, uh, just uh, want to create a place for, for teens and youth to come, to have fun and enjoy, and uh, I really worked hard, and we, we had a great program, and everything went really well, and and I have lots of stories of how God uh, used me, used this ministry and that kind of stuff um, for, for His glory and His, His kingdom. But then, uh, in our culture, and, and I know it's not just about me, but all of a sudden we started hearing all these stats of all these teenagers who grew up in the church, even in churches with really great youth ministry programs, and these teenagers were, once they left home, they were leaving the church. And that kind of makes you think about, okay, so what? What's that about? It, I mean, my desire and my passions were right. So uh, I, uh, this is not a, um, it is not about I was wrong or bad, but it was like made me question and wonder, what was my motivation? What was I trying to get across? And what was I trying to do and and what, what, what are we supposed to do? What's a better way to do it? Part of the problem is our worldview and our culture. And um, in our worldview is all about the accumulation of what our beliefs are. John is bringing some extra communion cups because all of a sudden we figured out as all of you guests were arriving, oh, we don't have enough communion cups. So that's why he's bringing those up there. Thank you, John. Um, but there's something interesting about our worldview and our culture and our belief system. And there, George Barn has done a lot of research around this. And, and I shared some of this stuff probably about five years ago here at the church, but I just wanted to bring it back. And there's this interesting stat. Everyone's worldview is primarily formed by the age of 13. Think about that a moment. By the time you're 13, your, your worldview is probably pretty set. There's another stat that was out there, especially as I was uh, being a, uh, was a youth pastor, and that is this. 67% of Christians get saved before graduating from high school. So what do, you, what do you do with that? Well, I can tell you what we did back in the 80s and 90s when I was going through youth ministry. That means... Wow, you got to put all your time and energy into children and youth ministry. I mean, you, you got to, you know, 
All of a sudden, all these organizations started popping up, like Young Life and Youth for Christ and Campus Life and Campus Crusade, and they're all really great in ministry, and churches started hiring youth pastors and investing in large budgets and doing these great programs for youth ministry, which is all good, and then children's ministers and directors were hired, and parents began to dropped their kids off at church because that was a place where their kids would learn about Jesus and parents stopped training their own kids. At least they thought they stopped training their own kids. The problem with that energy is that nothing changed in the culture. The culture actually got worse because Kids weren't being trained by their parents, they were being trained by professionals, and all of a sudden Christianity became about the professional. And this is really a conversation about influence, who has the most influence on our children. Part of George Barna's um, research, he, he talked about that, most significant influence on children, and he has divided them up into three tiers. The top tier is this, you can look up on the screen, media, which makes sense, TV, movies, books, that kind of stuff. The government, the government in, you know, the policies they develop and, and the laws, they, they have a lot of influence, but family and parents, that's most influence. They're tier one of, of influence. Tier two of influence is this, Schools, video games, peers, large corporations, affinity groups. That'd be like your, your soccer team or your drama group or you know, some kind of music group, whatever it may be, or, or other groups. They, they have a lot of impact, but they're not the primary impact on culture for our, for our teens. Then we have the bottom tier, non-nuclear family. So that's, that's for the, you know, the aunts and uncles and that kind of stuff. There are ways away that aren't interaction promotional events, live theater, um, and advertising. Those don't have hardly any impact whatsoever. Now, there is a spot left in the bottom corner. Are you ready to see what's in the bottom corner of having the least amount of influence on your teenagers and children? Here it is. Local church. Now, I highlighted parents on the other side because I want us to see the, the difference. When we went through this phase as the Western church of professionalism and began to drop our kids off, which, again, in the 80s and 90s when I was a youth pastor, I, I was a big proponent of this. What we found is the local church really has minimal influence on children parents do. And this is why for us as Crossroads, what we're trying to do is figure out how do we equip our parents. And so even for us, this dedication thing, yes, we want to dedicate your babies and your children, but, but we want to dedicate you as parents. And we want to come around you as parents as you're raising your kids. We want to equip you. That, that's what we want to do. Because we know that the local church has minimal influence compared to parents. So there's quick five foundational truths that I want us to just walk through real quickly. 
Uh, the first one here is this. Uh, we are in a battle, okay? I, I just want to keep emphasizing this. We are in a battle, and it's for the heart and the soul and the mind of every person, especially our children. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Be alert and sober. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for, lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Uh, we understand, parents, that you're in a battle. We're all in the same battle. This is why, over a year ago, I did the Great Deception series, and we talked about Satan, the evil one. His main mode of operation is deception and lies. His goal is to destroy, destruction. He wants to destroy the family. The second truth is this. Disciples are made, not born. Just because you have kids doesn't mean they're going to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay? Um, Jesus says, everyone who is, who is fully trained in Luke 6 will be like their tra- teacher. If we want our kids to be like Jesus, to be disciples of Jesus, somebody's got to train them. And according to our influence graph, parents, you are the best trainers. We want to train our kids to be with Jesus, be like Jesus, and do what he does. It's, it's the spiritual practices. The third foundational truth is this. It's a parent's primary, primary responsibility to train their children to be disciples of Jesus. Okay, it, Again, I'm going to keep hitting this over and over and over again. Psalm 78 says this. The Lord decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they are in turn, in turn would tell their children. Then they would, be put, they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Okay? The psalmist says it's a decree, it's a command. Teach your children, train them. There's a little side note here. Um, You are training your children whether you realize it or not. It's just what are you training your children in. The fourth truth is this. It's the role of the church to support and equip parents. And I've said that a few times, so I'm not going to beat that that down anymore. But again... Our role, church, equip parents, come alongside parents so that they can do their job. And the fifth one, uh, as I said earlier, you are already training your child. Now there's this verse that we often quote around parenting. It's found in Proverbs 22, and it's this. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is a proverb. A proverb is a short, pithy statement of what is most likely true. It's not a promise. This isn't a promise we proclaim. This is is a reality. Train up a child, and when they get older, they're going to follow that. George Barna's stats show that. Your kids know by 13... Their, their core values, their worldview by 18, whether they're saved or not, that happens as you're training them. Again, you are training your children. They're going to be like you, whether you like it or not. 
I mean, us that are older and been around, how many times have you done something near just, oh, that's just my dad. That's exactly what my dad would do. My dad didn't train me to do whatever I just <laughs> said. That's just because I, it was modeled. It, yeah. Deuteronomy 6. Um, I'm just going to touch on the first uh, few verses in Deuteronomy 6 here. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing Jordan to possess. Um, Notice here, teaching you to observe in the land. So they're, they're going from the wilderness into the promised land. They've been slaves. Now they're free. So as free people, this is what you do. Here's, here's the law, the commands, the decrees. Uh, Moses is teaching you to observe them. To observe means not just to sit there and look at them. That, that's not what observe means here. Observe means here to practice or to do or even to produce. So to observe these laws, decrees, means you're going to do them. And then he tells us why he is teaching these things. Moses says in verse 2, so that you, your children, and notice the multi-generation thing, and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commandments that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. You see the generational thing. As I am training my children, it's going to impact their children and the next generation. I met a great-grandfather here earlier today. What you did however many years ago is in... That's why Dylan and Alyssa are up here today. Hmm. Moses goes along and does the Shema, which is familiar to us here in Israel. Excuse me, we'll get to the Shema in just a moment here. Verse 3, Hear Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So again, if you want your family to go well, train them. Train them in the kingdom of God. For us, it's not about entering the promised land and how do we live in the promised land. It's about, hey, the kingdom of God is here. It is now. It is near because of what Jesus has done. So how do we train our children to live in the kingdom of God today so it goes well for us? Verse 4, Hear, O Israel. Here's the Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is, this is the simplified version of the law and the command. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Heart is about your appetites. It's where your desires are, your appetites. So love God with all your appetites. Soul is where you think. It's your personality. It's who you are as a person. Love the Lord with all of your being, your whole personality and strength. This is physical and mental strength. So love God exceedingly and abundantly with every part of the way your your body functions and the way your mind flows. This is important because 
as we'll see in a couple minutes, verse 7, these commands, um, I'm sorry, oh, I already read that, impress them on your children, listen to that again, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. To impress means to pierce or to sharpen. Okay, so with, we're supposed to impress the law, pierce our children with the law, sharpen them. What sharpen is you take two pieces of metal, you rub them together to get it sharp. That, that's what we're supposed to do with the law, with love the glory of God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Impress it on them hmm. tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates now the Jewish people of course they have the least phylacteries that you know little boxes with scripture on it that's how they bind them on their foreheads and then they have it on things on their on their arms and that kind of stuff but it's more symbolic here and so uh, to we are to um, tie them as symbols on our foreheads, which is what? Our minds, our thinking. The, the Word of God has to be bound into our minds and our hearts and, and to tie them on, onto um, our hands is, is also about what we do. It's our work. Every part of what we do in our work, no matter if you're, you're a pastor or you're a teacher, you're a construction worker, you're a business owner, no matter what it is, your work needs to be an example of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then write them on the door frames and the gates. That's, again, uh, you, you go anywhere where there's a Jewish home, they have a little thing on there that has Scripture tucked in on their door frame. It, it, it's symbolic. It means your house needs to be filled with love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, verse 6 tells us. This is really what it's all about. Because you are going to train your children with what's in your heart. That's what's going to happen. Because you're going to have bad days, and on those bad days, stuff is going to come out of here that's not pretty. You're going to come out of your mouth that's not pretty. Okay? Am I the only one that that's ever happened to? Yep. Oh, man. I probably should stop being a pastor. No. But when we fill our hearts with the love of God then as we are going through life and bad things stuff happen, then the love of God's going to start coming out. And remember, what we train our children with is what comes out of here. It, there's an intentional training. You need to teach them, but then there's this modeling that comes out. So my challenge for all of us, my question for all of us is this, what's in your heart? Is the Word of God to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is that what's in your heart? And then how, how do we bring that out here and train those around us? For, for those of you who are grandparents, how do, you, how do you do that with your grandkids? 
For those of you who don't have kids, how do you do that with people around you? This morning we're going to share in communion. And so I'm going to ask our communion stewards to come forward. And it's interesting because at the end of Deuteronomy 6, Moses tells the Israelites that when you get to the promised land, it is really important that you remember all that God has done. Remember how the Lord got you there because here's the deal. When you get into the promised land, here's what you're going to notice. You're going to notice that there are houses and cities already built that you just move into. Also, you're going to notice that there's vineyards and olive groves that have already been planted and cared for, and all you have to do is go in there and harvest. It's already done. For us, how do we keep the love of God in our heart? Part of it is this. Remember that before you gave your life to Jesus, everything was already done. So when you said yes to Jesus, the house was already built. The fruit was already there. It was all there because Jesus did it for you. So when you come to the table this morning, I want you to take time to just look back. And remember, remember all the different things that the Lord has already laid out before you, before you even said yes.